Would you please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10? We're still in the, the Gospel of Luke. We're kind of just jumping almost haphazardly throughout it. Um, while we're in Luke uh, chapter 10, uh, verses 38 to 42, it's on page 1033 in the pulpit Bibles, I believe. Uh, Luke chapter 10. Verses 38 to 42. Hear now the word of the living God. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, your word is a firm foundation, and we lean and rest upon that and that alone. I pray, O oh Father, that we would lean upon this one thing, this one thing which is of utmost necessity. that we would listen to the words of Christ. I pray, O oh God, that right now the Holy Spirit would illumine our hearts, soften them, and make us receptive to hear the word of the living God. Father in heaven, we come with great weakness. We come with great distractions in mind, whether it's what's going on at home or with the job or with family members or with the temperature in the room, or whatever it is, Lord God, I pray that at this moment, whatever distraction, anything that clings to our attention or pulls us away from hearing the word would vanish on you. Um, I remember in my freshman year of high school, I attended Martin Luther King High School in Riverside, California, and it was my, uh, my English class, and the, the teacher, he did one of these illustrations with a mason jar. Undoubtedly, I think you probably heard of it, but he had a mason jar, an empty mason jar, and he had large rocks and medium-sized pebbles and then sand. So he poured in the large rocks first into this mason jar, and it was filled all the way to the top, and he asked, uh, is it now full? And the class responded, yes, it's full. But then he poured in the pebbles these medium-sized pebbles into this mason jar, and it fell in those areas between the rocks. And then he asked, is the mason jar full? And we said, yes. And then finally, he got the sand, and he poured that into the mason jar, and he kind of shook it a little bit, and it fell into the crevices between the rocks and the pebbles. And then he finally asked, 
is it now filled? And we said, yes, or yes, teacher. He's not a professor. Yes, teacher, it is now filled. Well, then he had another mason jar, and he tried to reverse the process. So he first poured in the sand, and there was this little layer of sand there on the bottom of the mason jar. Okay, that's good. And then he poured in the medium-sized pebbles, and now it was two-thirds of the way full. And then finally, he tried to pour in the large rocks, and they could not fit into the mason jar. And the idea was that we were supposed to prioritize our lives around the large rocks, those things that were of utmost priority. And then everything else fills the gaps in between. And I guess my question is, what exactly should be those large rocks in our lives? What exactly are the pebbles and the sand of our lives? Uh, St. Augustine, he had this idea called disordered loves, where the, where the issue of humanity was not really the fact that we love the wrong things. The issue was that we loved the right things, but in the wrong order. We have the problem of turning pebbles into large rocks. If you, if you love your career, if you make that the large rock of your life over your family, well, then you ruin your family. You have a disordered love. So the fundamental error, then, of the human heart was disordered loves, a, dis, a wrong priority. So then my question is, what are the main priorities of this life? Or better yet, how, what does Jesus Christ think is our main priorities of this life? How does Christ see the large rocks of our lives? I want us to know what is of utmost importance to God. Because otherwise we could make what's most important to God less important to us. Or make something that's peripheral to God central to us. And we have it backwards. And I think here in Luke, we see at least one of those large rocks that are meant to go into the mason jars of our lives. We see one thing, one thing which is absolutely necessary. One thing that must always be central. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We have two points. The first one is distracted by service. So first notice that Martha was, in verse 40, she was distracted. And this verb literally meant being pulled away or being dragged away. There was this center of gravity that she was originally drawn to, but then something else pulled her out of it. She became distracted, dragged away. So then the question is, what was the center? What was this main priority that she was dragged away from? And we see at least two things in verse 39. She was pulled away from joining her sister Mary, who was first, do you see what it says there in verse 39, who sat at the Lord's feet. So this is the, the, the exact phrase 
that Paul uses when he describes his formal education in Acts 22. He says, this is Paul, I was educated at the feet of Gamaliel, meaning this was a posture of humble submission, meaning she was receptive. She was eager to learn. So Mary wasn't there standing with, you know, an eyebrow cocked in the, one higher than the other and her hand stroking her chin. She wasn't skeptical. She wasn't interrupting Jesus with all these unnecessary questions. She doesn't even say a single word in this entire narrative. She was ready and she was receptive. She sat at the Lord's feet. But then secondly, what does it say? It says she was listening. Mary was listening to Jesus' teaching. So she was intently focused. She, she wasn't just hearing these audible reverberations. She was listening. She was focused. She was picking it up. She was believing it. She was trusting it. And what was she trusting? What was she listening to? It says, the teaching, the teaching of Jesus Christ. And that word is a common Greek word, logos. You probably heard of it. You can translate it broadly as words. She was listening to the very words of Jesus Christ. So then Martha was distracted from listening to God's word in a ready posture. That's what she was drawn away from. So then the second question is, what was she distracted by? This this is the point I think most astounding. What was Martha distracted by? What, What sinister evil could pull her away from the words of Jesus Christ? Was she like Judas trying to sell her off, sell him off to the Pharisees? Was she just too busy watching, you know, the Jerusalem Cubs play the Samarian, Samaritan Cardinals? What was she doing? What was this great temptation that dragged her away from the words of the living God? What was it? What does it say there in verse 40? What was this great distraction? She was distracted with much serving. Serving. Well, isn't that, isn't that a good thing, Jesus? Isn't that what you called us to do? Luke 22, verses 26 to 27, this is Jesus' words. He says, Let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. In fact, Jesus, didn't you just tell a parable about the good Samaritan? This good Samaritan who served his neighbor, who showed hospitality? And look, right there in verse 37, right above this passage, Jesus says, You go and do likewise. Well, Jesus, isn't Martha doing this to you? Isn't she being hospitable? Isn't she supposed to serve you? And more than that, who was Martha serving? Was she trying to serve herself? 
It says she was trying to serve Jesus Christ. Jesus, isn't this what you want us to do to serve you? Well, the answer is yes. It is what I want from you. But the problem then isn't the fact that she's serving. Jesus never tells her to stop being hospitable. He doesn't reprimand her for having a servant-like heart. Jesus is not setting up some kind of dichotomy, a bifurcation, an either-or situation. Like you, you either choose a life of activity or a life of contemplation. As if it would be better if beacon light, we all became monks and nuns and lived on an isolated mountaintop. That's not what he's saying we should do. In fact, if we listen to Jesus, it would energize us to serve. So then what's the problem? The problem was not her service. The problem was the fact that her service came at the expense of something greater. Something far greater. Jesus here is concerned with establishing the right priorities. He's showing us what are the large rocks and the the pebbles, very important pebbles. That even above all this well-intentioned service to him, she is missing the one thing, the one thing which is most important, the one thing which must maintain the center. And what is that? It's sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his words, his teachings. In other words, before serving, we must learn to sit. Before labor, we have to learn to listen. Before focusing on the work, we have to learn to focus on the word. Above serving Christ is knowing Christ. Nothing is more important than doing what we're doing here, gathering as a church and hearing the word of God. Nothing is more central than growing in the hunger and knowledge of God. Why? Because nothing is more important than knowing God. Knowing God is the highest priority. Maybe you've heard that book by J.I. Packer entitled Knowing God. He says, what were we made for? To know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life? To know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? Knowledge of God. John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The main priority is to know God. But when we pour the pebbles in first, if anything else comes before this large rocks, these large rocks of knowing and listening to Jesus Christ, it creates in us a disordered love. I mean, look at 
what happens to Martha in verse 40. Look at, look at, look at her questions. She says, well, notice how often Martha refers to herself. She says in verse 40, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. So she's really concerned about herself. Me, she says. My sister. I'm serving alone. Because without the priority of sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ, without that priority of listening to Jesus, what happens? We become preoccupied with ourselves. We become curved into ourselves. Because the only thing that can pull us away, the only thing that can pull us away from our self-absorption is by being preoccupied, being magnetized to something far more glorious than ourselves. It's by knowing, listening, fellowshipping, communing with the Lord Jesus Christ and being enamored with him. And really, this is a great danger for us. It's so easy for us to lose sight of Jesus Christ, even among good things, lawful things to become so focused on ourselves. Michael Reeves, um, well, my wife is actually writing a book report on this book. It's called Rejoicing in Christ. Um, And Michael Reeves, in the introduction, he makes his observation. He says, Among the old Puritans, you can scarcely find a writer who did not write or a preacher who did not preach something called the unsearchable riches of Christ. Christ set forth, the glory of Christ, or the like. And then he asks, yet today, what sells? What puts a smile on the bookseller's face? The book that is about the reader. People want to read about themselves. We begin to be concerned mainly with how-to questions, five-step programs, ten tips to have a powerful life. We become so self-absorbed. Rather, we should ask the question, not how can I do this or how can I do that? We should ask, who is Christ? Who is this great Savior? And what is he telling me? I want to know him. Knowing Christ frees us from our self-absorption. Many of us become so burnt out with service or so burdened with sin or beleaguered by suffering and we, we become exhausted, anxious, overworked, and we ask, Lord, Lord, do you care? Do you not care, Lord? And why do we ask that? 
Could it be that we have a disordered priority? Could it be we no longer sit at the Lord's feet and listen intently on his word? Could it be that we no longer see the glory of Jesus Christ? Have we become so bored with Christ? Well, Robert, Robert Murray McShane, he, he was a great pastor known for his holiness. He died at the age of 29. This is his words from his biography. He said, Learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. Do you see the math there? Every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He says, He is altogether lovely. Live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams. Feel his all-seeing eyes settle on you in love and repose in his almighty arms. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. So yes, we must serve Christ, but one thing is necessary. Taking ten looks to Christ, looking at him, having our souls filled with a heart-ravishing sense of his sweetness and excellency. Far more important is that. It is a disordered love if we make what is good ultimate. Turning pebbles into rocks. Turning service to Christ rather than knowing Christ as the fundamental center well, then let's move on to point number two, uh, devoted to listening. So Martha appeals to Jesus. And why, do you, why does she do that? She appeals to Jesus because she thinks that Jesus will agree with her. He doesn't expect him to disagree. Um, she fully expects him to side with her. But surprisingly, in verse 41, Jesus responds... You can read it there with me. He says, Martha, Martha. And repeating that is a sen- gives a sense of tenderness, uh, sympathy. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. You are unduly concerned. You are agitated about many important things. But you have let this become all-consuming, and you have forgotten the one thing, the one thing which is necessary. You forgot about me, and you only remembered your service. Somehow she let the ministry keep her from Jesus. So in, in verse 42, what does Jesus say? He says, Mary has chosen the good portion. And that word can be translated uh, better. The NIV translates it better portion. It It can have this sense of comparison, good, better, best. Jesus is saying, Mary is not wrong for sitting at my feet and listening to me. In fact, this is actually good, if not better than service. 
And then by portion, that's a strange word, Jesus means something like a meal. Rather than serving and preparing a meal for me, he's saying Mary has chosen a better meal, a superior meal. If you think of John chapter 6, verse 27, Jesus says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. So physical food is temporary. But this food that Jesus gives, this good portion, this lasts to eternity. This is an eternal spiritual food. Which is why in the last phrase, he says, this good portion will not be taken away from her. So far more important than serving Jesus' food is letting Jesus serve you life-giving, eternal food. That's more important. So I, I think I want to transition here and ask a very important question. It's why? Why is listening to Jesus so important? Why in the world is Luke telling us this now out of all places? Why does Luke think it's so important to listen to Jesus Christ? Um, I'll give you two reasons why. The first reason is this. We have to come to grips with the astounding reality that God is speaking. God is the God who speaks. He's not the God who has spoken or the God who happens to speak or the God who will speak. He is the God who speaks even now. God is the God who speaks. A.W. Tozer said he is by his very nature continuously articulate. He is not reclusive. He is not bashful. He is not tongue-tied. God wants himself to be known by us. Francis Schaeffer, he wrote this book, and the title just says it all. It says, he is there, and he is not silent. God speaks. And Luke says, Jesus Christ here is the ultimate supreme word of God. If you look at just... Luke chapter 10, verses 22 and 24. It's just on the the page over. Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And listen, he says, And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then verse 24. For I tell you, that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear, the same word for listen, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Christ is saying he is God, and he is the ultimate self-expression of God. The Father reveals himself through the Son, through Christ. 
He doesn't come to speak about God. He is God in the flesh speaking. And then if you flip the page over to Luke chapter 9, verse 35, the transfiguration, a very important event in the gospel of Luke, the transfiguration. In verse 35, here's Jesus. He's with Moses and Elijah, the two most important figures of the law and the prophets, Moses Moses and Elijah. But here's Christ, the second person of the Trinity. What does he say? What does God say in verse 35? And a voice came out of the clouds saying, this is my son, my chosen one. And then he commands. What does he command there? He commands one thing. He says, listen, listen to him. And this is exactly what we find Mary doing. She is listening to God. The only way to know God and to hear his speaking is by listening to Jesus Christ. From his mouth, the same voice that said, let there be light, and it was that, this is the same voice. The same voice who, by the word of his power, upholds the universe. The same voice who, with a single word, can calm storms, cast out demons, raise the dead to life. The same voice is speaking. To sit at the feet of Jesus and to listen to him is to have a direct encounter with the living God. And if Christ is God speaking, if this is God speaking, then what's the proper response? If when God speaks, the universe is created out of nothing, if when God speaks, seraphim cover their face and demons shudder and flee and rain and storm is hushed and death is gagged, then we should be like Job. When God speaks, we should lay our hand over our mouths and just sit at the feet of Jesus Christ and to listen to him. The problem is not that God is silent the problem is that we, we refuse to listen. Even today, Christ still speaks. He still speaks in this Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. This is the Holy Word of God. He is speaking. He is here and He is not silent The problem is not that God is silent. The problem is that we refuse to listen. We prefer distractions. We prefer busyness. We like to keep ourselves in the dark, don't we? The true mark of pride and ungodliness is not in how little you serve. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 10. He says, 
This evil people refuse to hear my words. Well, then likewise, the true mark of humility and godliness is not firstly in how much you serve. Isaiah says in chapter 66, verse 2, This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. One thing is necessary when God speaks. When God speaks, the highest priority is to listen. He who has ears to hear, Jesus says, let him hear. Well, that's the first thing, and then here's the second thing. I think Luke placed this story here, this the story about Mary and Martha, because it illustrates how we love God. If you look at what occurs right before in chapter 10, verses 25 to 27, if you can read that with me, it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put, up, to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? Here's the important part. Verse 27 and 28. He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So then, interestingly, Luke places the Good Samaritan parable right after that. Why? Because it illustrates that second commandment, loving your neighbor. If you want to love your neighbor, be like the Good Samaritan. So what about this first commandment? What about loving God? Well, Jesus or well, Luke, he reverses the, 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 the two commands. He reverses them here, and he places that first command with Mary and Martha. So he's saying the Good Samaritan illustrates what it, what it is to love the neighbor. Mary and Martha illustrates what it is to love God. If you want to know what it is to love God, look at Mary. She illustrates that. And this is so important because this means loving God is not firstly by serving him. That's not the first way we love God. Loving God means first sitting at his feet and listening to his words. This is Paul in Acts 17. He says, God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. God doesn't depend on our service to him. God is entirely self-existent, meaning everything else in the universe, everything else has a possibility of existing or not existing. But God, he simply is. He's there. He's self-existent. Meaning he's entirely self-sufficient. He needs no one to be who he is. 
He needs no one to accomplish his own purposes. God doesn't want us to first react with service to him as though he needed anything. And what what does Jesus say in in the gospel of Matthew and Mark? He says what? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Christ emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. And he would go so low as to wash our feet. And he would go even lower to the point of death on a cross. Meaning, what we do for Jesus Christ, what we do for him, is not at the center of our relationship to him. What's at the heart is what he does for us. To love God doesn't mean providing a service to God. To love God isn't firstly giving something to God with our own busyness. To love God first means receiving. Receiving a gift from God means sitting, listening, receiving the words of eternal life. That's how you love God. You hear and you listen and you accept. When we don't listen to Jesus Christ, we don't only have disordered priorities or a disordered preoccupation with ourselves, we also have a disordered view of God. As if He looked upon us based off our performance. As if your service is somehow strengthening his love to you. As if you could leverage his favor by acts of service. As if God is the taskmaster and he has a whiplash in hand. Is that how you see God? If that's your view, then you have been pulled away from the one thing. And you will be anxious and you will be troubled with many other things. So then why? Why do we drag ourselves away from the feet of the living God? Why do we pull ourselves away from listening to the words of Christ? the words of hope and comfort. Why, does, why are we being pulled away? John Flavel, he wrote, why should you be such an enemy to your own peace? Why glance over the evidences of God's love to your soul? Why do you study evasions And turn off those comforts which are due to you. So then why? Why do we become so distracted? Why do we pull ourselves away from sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ and listening to his words, his teaching? So 
So then, one thing is necessary. It's devotion to listening to God's word. This needs to be the first rock that's poured into the mason jar. And then the pebbles of service and so forth. One thing then is necessary. This one thing. And I pray that we would be intently focused on it. This one thing. Listening to Jesus Christ. Well, let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God, we live in a distracted age and so many voices clamor for our attention. But I pray, Lord, that we would be once more enthralled with Jesus Christ, that he would captivate our hearts again and again that we would not lose sight of this one thing, listening to the words of Jesus Christ. So I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who are hungry and who crave and who are unsatisfied with what we know now, but that we would press on in the knowledge of God. Father, we pray that we would not lose sight, that we're called most of all to know you, And from that, Lord, would we serve. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.